friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Tile Money Podcast. This is the podcast that is strengthening the tile industry. We're doing this with our business education that is designed for contractors by tile contractors. This education is helping tile contractors everywhere around the world to build sustainable, profitable businesses. The result is a stronger industry from the installer up. So today we've got another great interview for you. We've got a discussion on the way that the wealthy class are managing and growing their assets, their money. How do they manage their money? How do banks uh, work? What do they know that we don't know? And I, I, this is a subject that is very interesting to me. And when I met Sean uh, through another podcaster, I just had to get him on the on the podcast and you know dig into his knowledge and share it with my audience. I'm super excited about this. Uh, he has a lot of knowledge to share. Before I bring them on, though, I do want to take a minute to thank our sponsors. These are the companies who are investing back in you, the listener, the tile contractor, installer out there. So uh, if you have a minute, make sure to thank our sponsors, which are the NTCA, the National Tile Contractors Association. They are the, the North America's largest and oldest tile contractor association. And uh, it is within that NTCA that you can find your five best friends, make those friends, associate with them, and learn from them. Really, you see, find those mentors that are within the NTCA. GoBoard, GoBoard is a lightweight, waterproof tile backer board from John's Mansville Company. It's easy to cut, easy to handle, easy to install. You can build a complete uh, shower assembly with with their line of products. And time is money, and, and GoBoard is designed to save you time and earn you more money. Ladycree International is another sponsor of ours. Ladycree International makes everything from A to Z you need to install your tile on your tile jobs. They, uh, they're an old company, an uh, American-made company, and a very entrepreneur company, a family-owned company with great family values. I just love Ladycree. I love that they're a privately held company who they give back to the industry in a lot of ways, one of them by sponsoring this podcast. HappyTileGuy.com is the best place to get your done-with-you professional website built and managed. Go to HappyTileGuy.com. And all my patrons, I'm so grateful to have your financial support. Even $5 uh, a month adds up a lot. And I, I truly appreciate the fact that you're saying, hey, we appreciate this podcast. We're getting some value and we're going to give back a little bit of value. So thank you, patrons, for doing that. Carson, it's good to see you, brother. You're doing a bathroom listening to this. Excellent, excellent. I'm glad that that works out. Miguel, good to see you, brother. Matthew, always good to see you. All right, so let me just clean up the screen here a little bit, and we're going to bring Sean Adams on. Hey, Sean. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm stoked that you're here. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself. I probably uh, missed some, some things, and uh, I, I, so go ahead. You've got the, the mic. Yeah, yeah, just thirty thousand foot view on on me and my background. Um, I came from the the trades from a contractor background. I caught this uh, entrepreneurial bug really early on. I was uh, initially the middle school kid around the neighborhood pushing the lawnmower, hustling, trying to make some extra bucks, and I just fell in love with uh, the whole entrepreneurial opportunity. Right, I loved working with customers and the marketing and building new services and getting my hands dirty and being outside. And uh, yeah, that kind of transitioned into 
as I went into high school, I started up a, a hardscape and a, uh, a landscape company and I spent about the next 10 years of my career uh, growing, scaling, and ultimately selling that business. So learned a whole bunch of lessons along the way of, of pretty much what not to do. I was mm-hmm. super stubborn and <laughs> made so many damn mistakes uh, in the early years there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my background of, of how I got started and I fell into the normal traps that I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on here, uh, being a business owner and getting stuck in the weeds and not being able to delegate properly. And, um, you know, really I I learned how to go eventually through being so getting over my stubborn personality and moving from, you know, the owner operator and not being super profitable to actually becoming a profitable organization and having some crews under me and and scaling a, a good size organization. And, uh, and ultimately I, I, felt a huge gap of where it was all the content out there was, Hey, get you from, you know, scraping by to profitable. Wasn't a whole lot out there about how I can make these couple extra grand I'm making a week and turn that into real wealth. And how could I build a future for myself? And, um, we can unpack any piece of that you want, but, uh, that that's really what led me into today and what I help, you know, other small businesses to, to have those enlightening moments. Yeah, yeah. Well, the story sounds, you know, familiar to so many of us, I'm sure, right? You you go out there and and you do some physical work and you you start the business and then and then what? What's the next step, right? And then and then you start being profitable and then what? So, uh what how did you make that transition from I mean, you sold your business and, and then this this specific subject just was of of extra interest to you? Yeah. So in in the the later years of the business, I had sort of removed myself from the field for the most part and had a bit of a management layer in place and was able to start looking into like, what was the next step? What was coming? How could I continue to scale? And more importantly, how could I start to look at the financial component? Um, You know, we're taught in the, the technician side, how to put the tile in perfectly, how to install the right tree sod, whatever it might be. But nobody teaches us about the business. Nobody teaches you how to balance your checkbook, how to understand investing, how to save money, all the critical pieces that are involved in creating a lasting business and creating real wealth for ourselves. And so when I looked around and I couldn't find that content, I I started to say, you know, I've got to find some people that are ultra successful who have a lot of money and I've got to tease some information out of them. So in those last couple of years of the business, I really sat down. It was a pet project of mine. I interviewed a lot of wealthy people. I read every book I could get my hands on podcasts, all that sort of stuff. And I started realizing that like there was, there was this disconnect between what we were being taught as business owners and individuals about what to do with our money. And then there was what the wealthy were doing with their money. And those were not the same things, right? They weren't putting their money in bank accounts. They weren't putting their money in an IRA or a 401k. They were getting really creative there and they were sort of becoming their own bank. And I started looking at where they were stashing their cash and just was dumbfounded to find out that a lot of them had some of their highest assets, the the top tier assets that they store in different life insurance policies, believe it or not. And it was a very strange thing to me. I couldn't believe that they would be involving life insurance. I mean, I knew that as like a protection in case you died, but I didn't understand there was a financial side to it. And the more people I interviewed, the more I realized that this was sort of this best kept secret that went way back to the turn of the century, uh, back to the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and people that were billionaires. And I realized there wasn't restrictions for the average person. Like you could do these things too. It's just, it was never properly marketed to us as regular people. And so that's where the light bulb went off. I brought these, these uh, sort of 
whole pursuits into my personal finance. And it just totally changed the game for me. It really helped me level up. And as I started naturally spreading the word about it, um, that's when I kind of took the, the leap into doing some, some consulting work, selling my, my uh, contracting business and really trying to help people to understand their numbers. And then ultimately it just led into Sean, this sounds really interesting. I had no idea this was an option. Yeah. How can you kind of help me do that too? And, and that's what led into the, the agency I have now. Okay. Okay. Well, very cool. Well, I'm like I said on the onset here. I'm excited to have you because uh, construction contractors, tile. I mean, it's it's been selling like hotcakes even even this you know the last twelve months here in the last decade really and, and more. Um, so it's 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 an interesting subject for sure. I really want to dive into this uh, the life insurance policies, but before we get into that, maybe you know just tell us um, you know what what everyday people like us contractors what 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 else can we learn from the ultra wealthy yeah yeah so it's if i can go back for just a second and rewind there when i sat down and was looking into kind of new resources i sat down with a bunch of what felt like 50 different financial advisors to get mm-hmm. some real advice and i got this maybe your audience can resonate with this this cookie cutter approach mm-hmm. right it was like you can put your money in these three buckets and blah 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 and it was all the same thing you could tell that they were taught that day one of their employee onboarding and they've just been reiterating that same document a million times over And it just, it didn't fit with a small business. Like we, especially in the trades, we have revenue spikes, we have seasonality, we have employees that don't show up, we have deposits that we're waiting on, you know? And so it was, it was inflexible to those sort of things. And I I realized that when I looked at the wealthy, they were trying to take back control and everything on the personal finance in terms of regular financial advisors was trying to remove control from us. They wanted to put things into accounts like 401ks and things that restricted our ability to have control on our money. And that was super problematic for me and and what I'd seen um, out there for other business owners. And so that was the the pivotal moment where I'm like, there's got to be some other ways. And so um, that's when I started looking into how they structured and thought about where they position their money. And one of the the ways that, that they would look at is they kept calling themselves their own family bank. Mm-hmm. and self-banking, privatized banking. And I, I thought like, that's kind of strange. And then I realized that like, I actually have no idea how banks really work, right? Yeah. Like I know that I go down there and I put my money in this quote unquote safe, you know, investment, a savings account, but like, I know they charge fees. I know they lend, right? But like, wh- what what else is going on there? If they're one of the most profitable organizations out there, I better like look behind the curtain a bit and uh, happy to elaborate there if you want to kind of hear that that story. I'd love to hear behind the curtain of banks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think most people do. And it's, it's shocking how little information is actually shared about this. So one of the things that I, I kind of dove into was, was publicly traded banks. So you're really large Bank of America as well as Fargo, that sort of thing. Um, these are, you know, well over uh, half a billion dollars and upwards in, in revenue. And when you peel back the layers and you look at some of the financials, all this information is available on their website, but it's basically written in this print that it might as well be Mandarin because nobody really looks at it. Right. And what you find is that they kind of pioneered the concept of other people's money. What I mean by that is traditionally speaking, I'm a consumer. I go down to the bank, I deposit my check or it's all electronic now, but the, the money moves from my account uh, or from my hands into my bank accounts with the bank. And the bank, and you sign up for this, whether you know it or not, has a uh, responsibility to only keep about 
about 10 to 20% in reserves of all the deposits that are made with all their customers. Now, a portion of that they use to lend to other people. That's one side. But the other side is the long-term savings, right? So banks are in the business of making a yield, a percentage on the money that they have in their control. And guess what? It's not their money that's there. It's your money. So the banks pool all their clients' accounts, these percentages, and they go and what they do is they buy these same life insurance contracts. They're actually called BOLIs, bank-owned life insurance, believe it or not. And these policies are really, really uniquely designed. And the reason they put them in there is because the insurance companies actually pay a 4 to 6% guaranteed rate of return on the deposits that you fund into one of these policies. So the bank is basically the middleman. If you think about the triangle, right? You come in, you deposit money at the bank. The bank takes your money along with all its other customers, and they put that money into these insurance policies. And those policies then spit off a yield of call it 4%, 5% back to the bank. They get to keep all of that. And it was never their money in the first place, right? So they're making a gigantic return on investment because they're using somebody else's money to make a, a huge return. And, and as a return back to you, the customer, all they're doing is letting you safely keep your money in this account. And they're giving you what, like a checking account, a debit card, a fancy pin. Like, what, what are you really getting there, right? And so what wealthy people realize is like, why am I paying a middleman? And so they just remove the bank from the equation and they connect themselves directly with that insurance provider and they start to reap the benefits of doing this. And so um, that's that's the, the long and short of kind of the banking side and how they look at this. And they, they don't want to pay a middleman and they realize that they can take advantage and again, take control of their finances. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense, Sean. Uh, and I, I'm personally a big fan of OPM myself, other people's money. And, you know, when you can use it and know how to use it, um, like Chris says here, uh, his, Chris's reaction is kind of like mine right now. I'm my, my head. Whoa, what a racket, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Chris, if you have any questions for Sean, feel free to shoot, shoot them up, uh, here in the comment section. Anybody who's watching live can do that. Um, you know, some years back, probably almost 20 years, well, exactly 20 years now, I, I knew an older gentleman who had a roofing business and he, he retired, uh, and he, he did fairly well for himself. He had, you know, uh, a nest egg, right. And, mm-hmm. and, and 20 years ago, I think he would go into the banks and negotiate for a better interest rate of return. Well, you know, that worked, uh, up until it didn't. And, and even at that time, 20 years ago, it wasn't really working so, so good for him. But I think he told me he, he got around 50,000 a year just from interest and he, he lived a modest life, um, Hmm. which was, you know, significant, but now that doesn't work anymore as well as it, you know, should or used to, um, so that's kind of why we're having this discussion, right? Is the wealthier like, well, take out the middleman, like you said. So, uh, w- um, Phil, good to see you. Uh, we'll, we'll release this as a podcast as well as you can re- replay the video, Phil. Um, so tell us, I mean, I, you know, I think I'm following everything. Who, who, tell us a little bit more about this insurance and, and taking out the middle, the middleman. Yeah. Yeah. So, The mindset to think about here is not necessarily just as an investment. So when people hear four to 6%, they go, whoa, 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 Sean, I can get 9% in the stock market. I can get 13% in my real estate fund or whatever it might be. 
The idea is to think about your cash as an asset, right? Mm -hmm. The cash has to live somewhere. And we're talking about long-term cash, right? I'm not talking about taking all your money out of the bank and storing it under your mattress. Your checking account and your debit card, those are fine for personal finance, day-to-day, monthly things. I'm talking about long-term savings. Where does that cash sit, right? It has to live somewhere. So if it's currently tied up in something like a bank account, you're getting a teeny tiny return that you'd have to have it in there for 10,000 years before you actually had enough to get any kind of passive income off of. Or you have the other option, traditionally, if you went to one of those advisors who would say, stick it with me in this mutual fund and hope for the best over 30 years and you'll be fine. You should be able to retire, right? And there's a lot of shoulds and maybes and hopefullys going on there. And there's not a lot of guarantees. And so, you know, especially in the investing world, there's next to no guarantees out there. And so what the the wealthy recognized is, okay, I want to be able to invest, but before I do that, I need a warehouse for my cash to sit in. And I don't care if it's $3,000. It doesn't matter the amount. It's about the practice and the habit of where the cash sits, where it's stored. And so what the wealthy recognized is I want it to be stored in the safest, most liquid Uh, most guaranteed place I can and the most protected, right? Banks are not notorious for being the, you know, when crap hits the fan, they're not always the most reliable and they will call your loans. They will always look out for their best interest first, Mm. right? So I'm not saying insurance companies are, you know, all about us. They obviously are there to make a profit as well, but the idea is they're structured in a much different way. So the insurance companies that we work with are called mutual insurance companies. Mm. So they're, they're not publicly traded. They're not stock held insurance companies. And so in essence, they function like a credit union. So as we deposit money into our policies that we create, after the death benefits and the, the, all the payouts and expenses that happen, the returns, call it the kind of profit essentially, uh, gets brought back to us in the form of dividends and interest on our policies, the money we have in our accounts. So that's how the insurance companies are. They're really almost like participation, right? So they're pulling the money and it's making money. So they're returning that back to the policy holders. And the beauty of that, that's great to be able to get, call it 4% guaranteed on your money. And the companies that we work with, they've been consistently returning at least that floor, that minimum of 4%, for well over 120, sometimes 160 years in some cases. So Mm. these are not teeny companies that just came up in the past couple of years. These are very, very well-established organizations. We have the data, the historical data to check and see through the Great Depression, through the 80 savings and loan crisis, the dot-com bubble, 2008, 2020. They always kept maintaining. They have a massive reserve and they're able to always be profitable and return that back to the policyholders. So the safety is there, right? So that's great. I've got that. The other piece that people don't like though is, look, I don't want to tie my money up. So if I'm a small business owner, I don't want to stick my money into a pool that I can't access, right? That's the problem with 401ks and IRAs is I am taken out of control. They say, hey, when you're 59 and a half, come touch your money. Seems kind of counterproductive. Right, right. (laughs) So one of the things that we talk about and what's really amazing about these accounts, these policies, is there's a, a liquidity element. You can actually tap into the money that's there whenever you want. And so you can technically withdraw it when you'd like, although you'll impact that compounding growth, which certainly isn't ideal. The real way to do it is to go through what's called a policy loan. So I don't, we, we can kind of take a break after this section too, if, if you want to dive deeper onto that. But the point of the liquidity is you can actually 
take a loan out on the money, use it elsewhere, and the whole pie, right? So if you put a hundred grand into one of these policies, and let's say an opportunity came up or something happened in business and you needed to take 25 grand out, you can actually take a policy loan, kind of like a like a um, home equity line of credit, mm-hmm. and take that out of the policy. Spend it on whatever you want, your business, whatever else is going on, and then actually have the ability to have the whole 100000 continue to compound as if you never took that loan out. So you can almost use your money in two different places. And I know that's a little foreign to most people, and we can unpack that a little further, but that is the liquidity element that's there. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, sounds good to me. So what, so you're, what, how, how does that work? I mean, in real time, the interest on both sides, uh, both the money that's invested as well as the, you know, the home equity style loan. Yeah. So if you think about a house for a second, right, it's an asset similar to how this cash is sitting in a, in a pile inside the, the policy. When you have a house, let's say it appreciates every year. So it grows in value, call it 2% every single year. It's going to grow, right? Mm-hmm. That growth, the value of your house goes up whether you have a mortgage or not, right? Mm-hmm. If you take a line of credit out against your house, if you take a cash out refinance against your house, you still get that overall growth. And the, the way that works is you have equity built in there, right? So if you bought a house for $200,000, you've paid a hundred grand into your mortgage, you have a hundred thousand dollars technically in equity, right? Yeah. You can go to a bank and say, hey, can I tap into that equity? And they would give you a loan typically up to about 80 or 90% of the equity that you've built in that account. It functions very similarly in one of these policies. So let's say you have that $100,000 in there. The worst thing you can do to a big pool of money that's compounding at 4% every year is what? Withdraw it, right? If you interrupt it, you are totally going to screw yourself up by taking that money out. It's going to drop the value. It's not going to compound as heavily, and it's going to drastically affect the long-term performance of that pool of money. Mm -hmm. So what the insurance company says is, hey, we'll act like the bank in this scenario. Instead of you withdrawing the cash, you can take a loan out from us, right? So we see that you've got a hundred grand in your policy. We'll give you up to call it 90 grand, like the bank does at your house, and we'll loan you the money. We're going to charge you interest, but it's going to be simple interest. Remember, so you're getting charged simple interest, but what's happening in your policy is compound interest. So you're borrowing at simple and you're getting paid uh, compounding interest. So there's a huge arbitrage right there in that level. And then you can, of course, use that money for whatever you might want. Some people t- take a loan from their policy and they go in and make another investment or they invest in their business or a house, real estate, whatever it might be. So yeah. does that make sense at a high level? Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for unpackaging that a little bit more. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, we've got some some feedback from the audience. No, um, Let's see, uh, just one here. He came in. He wants to know what kind of investing we're getting into. Um, essentially, uh, we're talking about putting your money in uh, life insurance policies, right, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. So again, we're looking at the warehouse side. So I wouldn't call it a total investment or an end all investment. What I like to look at it as it's, it's a place that sits between sort of the bank account and where we're going to go invest. Most people either go, I have to spend or I have to save. Mm -hmm. And this sort of flips that on the head and says, look, let's 
stockpile a savings as much as possible. And then if I have to invest, if I have to purchase something, I can leverage the money in there and basically do both. And so it doesn't stop you from investing. It's sort of the safe house, call it the sort of bank account that the cash sits in. It's safe. It's guaranteed growth. You get protection and it's there when you need it to use elsewhere versus if it's sitting in a bank account, you're getting 0.1% growth and you got fees going on and they can't let you take more than $10,000 out at a point, they completely restrict you from accessing your own cash. Yeah. Yeah. And as business, small business owners or, or anybody really, it's, it's good to have access to your money. So, uh, it's not, it, it sounds great. We've got a question here from Chris. I'll let you read it and answer it. Yeah. So Chris, you're asking about, uh, you, you signed up with a term policy and, um, your, your parents are saying that the whole life is a wasted investment. It, it sounds like they're mistaken. So, so just to clarify here, great question. I'm glad you brought this up, Chris. Thanks for that. Um, the the main idea behind this is traditional whole life insurance. So regular run of the mill, you take any kind of agent and, and they're going to sell you a general whole life policy. It's typically going to be a pretty terrible investment for a couple of different reasons. One is they're not structured for the cash accumulation, the cash value. They're really structured for what's called the death benefit, right? So when you buy life insurance, like any kind of insurance, all it is is a risk against, uh, I'm sorry, a hedge against any kind of risk. In life insurance, it's a hedge against you passing away. So you insure your life essentially by buying a policy. And if you pass away, a death benefit will be paid to your spouse, uh, your children, your business partner, whoever you deem to be the beneficiary. So traditional whole life insurance, as it's been marketed to the masses, has been, let's just focus on the death benefit. And it's very expensive and people will pay thousands of dollars a month into one of these policies. And all it does is pay for the next generation to get this big payout, right? Mm -hmm. Not super helpful for us as the individual. We want living benefits. And so traditional whole life insurance is not structured for cash value. The way that we put this together and the way the wealthy look at this is they know the rules of the game. And they know that those policies can be tweaked and added and there's all kinds of riders and adjustments that can be made so that you can uh, shrink down the expense component that you actually pay the insurance company that buys the death benefit. And you can increase the cash value, that accumulation that you get, like the equity in your house. So it's all about policy design. And so traditionally speaking, if you're looking at you know anything that you've been sold by a general agent, typically, if they don't know how these things work, yeah, it's, it's not going to be a great investment, but it's about knowing the right rules, right? Think about that the average um, homeowner calls any old tile guy or they ask their carpenter, hey, do you do tile work? They're like, technically, yeah, I could put some tile in, but is that going to be the best use of their resources, right? They're not using the professional. All I do is sell these type of policies because we've kind of mirrored everything that the wealthy do for the regular individuals. And we take all those rules and those tricks and the things that you've spent 20 years learning in your trade, we put those into ours to make sure that it's optimized for you. But if you're just looking at average whole life, it's going to look like a terrible investment up front. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So there, you know, shop wisely and uh, there is a difference then. And then this is it. What, what would someone's next step be if they, if they think this sounds great? I mean, what, what do you recommend? I mean, and who, who, you know, who who can get started with this? Yeah. So there's no real minimums out there in terms of um, kind of what this is applicable for. There's not like a real income level. Uh, We have people that are right out of college that have a hundred bucks a month. That's all they can do. We've got ultra wealthy people that have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month they want to put in. So 
that part is not really a restriction. What ends up happening is people go, hmm, all right, Sean, I heard you on this podcast. You seem remotely interesting. But look, I've got X, Y, Z going on, right? I've got three kids. I've got this going on. I've got this money over here. And they usually have this sort of hodgepodge situation. And it's really hard for me to kind of talk in common terms because everybody is different ages and different scenarios and different levels of education financially. So the best thing to do is typically we offer free calls. We're going to do that for your audience. So if people are open to that and they want to learn about how this might be applicable for their unique situation, we hop on a free one hour consultation. We go through your scenario. Um, and I actually tee up examples. Hey, this is what it would look like if you put in X per month. Here's what it looked like. If you put this in for 10 years, for five years. And we start to kind of unpack things based on your age, your health scenario, so on and so forth. So it's a really catered approach and it has to be because at the end of the day, it's life insurance we're taking out on you or your family member. Uh, so we've got to kind of cater it to that specific scenario. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for that generous offer, uh, that free one hour phone call consultation. That sounds like a great deal. Uh, everybody make sure if you're interested in, in this, take Sean up on that. That's something that's unique to this podcast. So I appreciate it. And Patrick, uh, from Canada has a, has a question here for you. See, I'm getting in, I'm getting life insurance next week as I'm getting into real estate, buying rental properties. The fellow did go over this with me. Uh, I chose short term to keep more cash flow on hand. I'm in Canada. Not sure if it's different up here. What you're saying sounds good. Appreciate the input. Yeah. Thanks for that, Patrick. So this is applicable in Canada. Uh, although I personally can't sell to you there, but I do have contacts in Canada that do exactly what I do just right across the border. So if you are interested in getting a second opinion, um, looking at how this might be applicable, just reach out to me. Um, we, we talk probably on a monthly basis to our Canadian kind of, uh, counterparts up there. It's just a licensing thing. We can't sell to in, in out of state, out of country. They can't sell in this country. So be happy to help you if you want a second opinion there. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about the guaranteed returns. I mean, you know, a lot of times when we talk about returns on, on your investment, sometimes, you know, we have spikes and stuff like that with the market. Um, but what, so the difference between the guaranteed and, and maybe a more shiny object would be what? I mean, basically just that simple, right? Yeah. So the thing to think about is, you know, when we're putting something in one of these strategies, when we talk about the word guarantee, we're not guaranteeing a 20% return on investment, right? We're talking about a safe, liquid, protected area to put cash. And in turn, you're going to get something like a 4% return on your money in that account on an annual basis, right? So it's not an absolute home run, but it is something that's safe and it's always going to be there. It's always going to be guaranteed. That is backed up by the, the IRS as well as the government. There's all kinds of layers of protection in there. And again, we have the historical data to show that these, these companies that we work with have been returning that 4% at a minimum for, you know, a century plus. So yeah, the guarantee there is where we want to safe house the money. And what's nice is it's also a risk sort of a hedge against risk, right? So what some people will do is they'll go, uh, like Patrick mentioned with real estate, right? He'll put stores money in a, in a policy and then an investment opportunity comes up to buy a property. He could liquidate everything and put it in that property, but he might not be able to really get any cash out of it for six, 12 months if he's renovating it or whatever he's trying to do. Mm. So what people will do is they'll take a small loan out and they'll say, look, I'll take 30 grand out. I'm going to put a deposit down, a down payment on this property. Mm -hmm. 
And now I'm going to fix it up, do my thing. And it's going to give me, call it $500 in cash flow every month if it's a rental property. Sure, right. Sure. So what people will do is they'll take that 500 bucks and they'll either just, you know, profit on that themselves or they'll even pay back their policy for the loan that they took out. So now they're kind of making 4% here and they might be making 10% on their real estate in, interaction or, or they buy some stocks with it because they have an, uh, some insight into an opportunity. So you get to sort of play different games. There is a small insurance um, interest rate that you're gonna be paying back the insurance company. But again, it's simple interest that you're gonna be paying significantly less than a credit card or a compounding rate like you would pay in any kind of mortgage or other line of credit. So um, yeah, it allows you to use your money in a couple spots at once and, and really get that, that um, you know, guaranteed. Yeah. I love it. Leverage, leverage your money. You know, yeah. uh, I, I've never heard of this strategy before and I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. I, I want to also get into the, you know, because of the time of year and I know it's another, uh, kind of expertise of your, of yours is, uh, about taxes and, and learning how the wealthy, you know, view their taxes and kind of some secrets there. Do we, do we need to wrap anything else up on, on the, um, insurance? Uh, no, I think so. We, we consider these like the five uh, wealth levers, I call them. So we touched on the, the first couple there guaranteed growth that we're getting. Right. Mm. So when I interviewed the wealthy and I really learned this stuff, they had five of these characteristics mm. that they looked for in a vehicle to hold their cash. Yeah. The first one was that guaranteed growth. The second one was liquidity. They didn't want to lock their money up so they could use it elsewhere. Right. Yeah. So those are first two. Yeah. The, the third one is what we call no correlation, no market correlation. All that means is if the stock market absolutely tanks or the real estate market goes berserk like it is right now, you are not beholden to that roller coaster ride. You're going to be steady as she goes, just kind of creeping along at that 4%. So it's not correlated to an index like the stock market, like the housing market. So that makes a huge difference uh, when we're trying to diversify a bit that we have something steady we know we can count on. It's not linked to those other markets. The fourth lever is the tax advantages. So I'm glad you brought that up. So a couple of things to keep in mind, any sort of insurance from a life insurance perspective this is going to be funded with after-tax dollars, right? So your business generates income. You might take a salary from your business or have some profit left over. Whatever hits your checking account, you've already paid taxes on. So with that, you can then contribute to one of these policies. So the unfortunate part is it's not a write-off in terms of what you can contribute, technically speaking. Mm -hmm. But like a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, you pay with after-tax dollars. You've already been taxed on the money. You put it into one of these policies. The uh, principal, what you've, the, the contribution is called your, your cash basis or cost basis, what you've paid in, you'll never be taxed on. The growth that you have, so let's say over 10 years, you put $100,000 into the policy and it swells and grows to $125,000. Okay. That $25,000 worth of of gains or growth is technically taxable, but only if you withdraw those gains. So be, remember, we have full control over when and how we use this money. There's no time where we have to withdraw it. There's no limitations to when we can do it if at all. So if we want to take a loan of call it a hundred thousand dollars, $110,000 out, we can, and that loan is not taxable because it's not income. Sure. It's a loan, mm -hmm. right? So we're not paying taxes to use our money in different places because we've already paid the taxes on the beginning. The other side is 
when we fund in this cash, remember we're buying a death benefit, right? It gives us a whole bunch of living benefits of growth on our money and protection and no market exposure. But at the end of the day, the huge piece is we get the protection of when we pass away, our spouse, our business partner, our children get a one-time lump sum payout called a death benefit when we pass away. Whether that's sudden, something happens unexpectedly, or we're 105 years old and we pass away. That death benefit that gets paid to the beneficiary that you choose is 100% tax-free because you've already paid in the taxes on it. So think about this from the ultra-wealthy perspective, right? I've got millions of bucks in the bank. Passing on wealth is one of the most challenging things for people to do because when you get up in higher tax brackets, you can be sliced literally 50 or 60% of your wealth can be taxed and removed when you transfer it to other generations, to other people. So it's a great strategy to use my money, have it grow guaranteed. And then when I go to pass away, it's actually going to be sent to my spouse or my children tax free. That's a huge advantage there. It's literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars if you're funding in this for a long period of time. So the tax part is a major contribution uh, that, that needs to be considered because you put money in a 401k and IRA, not that they're all bad, but they literally, when you're 59 and a half, that's the first time you can touch that money without penalty. If you go to 72 and you don't touch it, they force you to start taking withdrawals from it. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, every single withdrawal that you take is taxed. Mm-hmm. So you're not paying taxes in the beginning, but you're basically foregoing cheaper taxes now for more expensive taxes down the road because we just took, you know, how much out in stimulus money, taxes are going to go up. Yeah, That's almost a guarantee. And so <laughs> you're forfeiturating a cheaper tax bill now for a more expensive one down the road. Um, and it's not as advantageous as it sounds. So the way that these work, pay with after-tax dollars now, and then basically have a tax-free access and passing on of your money in the future. That makes a lot of sense. And I I wasn't going to let you go without addressing this subject because it's so important and it's the season and it's kind of always the season if you're a profitable business owner, right? Um, I I love that. We we get taxed when we make it, when we spend it, when we walk outside. So so these these laws are written, you know, for a purpose. And, you know, uh, I, I think it's a smart decision. Uh, to pay someone who knows these laws and, you know, take advantage of these, these, uh, these laws that are there for business owners to thrive and be profitable. And that's called, that's like generational wealth there when you can pass that on um, and not have to worry about, you know, getting taxed here, getting taxed there. And I love the, you know, again, leveraging your money, leave it in, leave it in the life insurance, pull it out. You're not going to spend taxes on the loan. But you're going to grow your your assets because you you might get into real estate, you might get into a second business, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, you're still growing your assets. Uh, that's a that's a great strategy. I appreciate you bringing that to light, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And if I can, just the last uh, lever there. The, yeah, the absolutely. Fit- The fifth lever is what we call protection, right? So obviously we talked about the death benefit that if something were to happen to you and you passed away, your family will be taken care of with that one time lump sum payout. And just for some rough numbers, like one of the policies I have, I have the ability to put about $50,000 a year in if I want to, that buys me about $1.7 million worth of death benefit. 
right? Mm-hmm. So if I pass away, that is a lump sum tax-free benefit that would go to my wife, right? So that's a huge amount of money. It's a lot of protection that's there and it's there for the rest of my life, no matter what time I die and when I die. So that's an important piece. You have the protection from your family because if you are the, the breadwinner and even if you're not, you as an individual have value. You contribute to the economy, you provide a service and that you know, adds in revenue, which then if you are gone needs to be replaced and people would be financially lost without it. So you can ensure your value to the economy and your family. The last piece of the protection, believe it or not. Now I've been in business, owned multiple small businesses now and well over 13, 14 years now I've been involved in a couple different lawsuits. It's just the nature of the beast. Unfortunately, it sucks. It's part of the game, even when it's not your fault. One of the big things that the wealthy recognized is, look, when you've got a lot of money, people are coming after you every single day for all kinds of different things, right? If you have your money tied up in a bank accounts, sometimes in different real estate transactions, in some of the the retirement accounts too, it is technically seizable in most states. Mm. Meaning that if I go to sue you and and you're found uh, to be liable, they can actually seize your assets, your cash, your homes, real estate, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Every state's a little bit different. By by and large, the way real uh, life insurance works is it's considered a insurance product first. Therefore, it's a private contract between you and the insurance company. So you don't have to disclose this. You go to the bank and you say, hey, I need a cash out refinance on my home. They'll never know that you have this life insurance policy. It's not on your credit report, right? It's private. So for most people, especially the wealthy, they fund as much money as they humanly possible into these policies because if someone comes after them, no one knows that it's there. It's perfectly legal. It's a great way to store and protect your cash. They physically cannot go in and attack or take it. And most people don't think about this, but it's it's something that happens all the time. Greatly important to be able to have that protection layer in place uh, to make sure that we've got the ability to protect our assets. We work our butts off in this industry, right? You don't want to leave that up to somebody who just wanted to be sue happy or come after you. So really important to try to have that in place. And um, yeah, big, big level of protection. Uh, and the other piece I would say is, you know, you get to be able to store something, have the peace of mind to be able to kind of sleep at night. And I think that's a that's a huge piece. I know it was for me knowing that I'm putting my money in something safe that I don't have to worry about. And that took a lot of mental bandwidth off of me. That's an asset that employee is actually insurable. And so you can actually take a policy out on them as well. Their life, they would be the insured. You would be the policy owner and you would actually be the beneficiary. Should God forbid that person pass away, you as the owner of the policy would get that payout if that person was not there, right? So you can fund in other policies on other people as well. And we had somebody who's doing this exact thing on an operations manager. And if that person um, were to disappear, you know, they have the ability to, to or, or die, they have the ability to capture that death benefit, um, which is super powerful. The other side is it's a great retention strategy. Um, so basically what people will do is they'll say, listen, let's say John's your operation manager. Listen, we're going to fund into this policy. I'm going to have access as the owner to the money. I'm going to use it in different ways. But if you stay with us for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever number works for you, whatever age this person is, we will actually give you access to this almost like a pension, right? So you have, and this can be any amount of money that you are comfortable with, whatever you want to structure. We can get really creative with the numbers here. And what they'll say is, look, I'll fund in for 25 years. And if you stay with me for 25 years, I'll literally surrender the policy to you and you'll get it. 
So the owner can use that cash whenever they want throughout the 25 years, repay it, do, do their thing, but then they can also turn it over to an employee or what corporate companies do is they make like a pension plan and they say, okay, you know, John, you're going to retire at age 60. I'm going to pay you 50 grand a year for 20 years that I paid in this policy. And it's going to come out as policy loans or as withdrawals. And you can almost have this unbelievable retention strategy. I wish I figured this out when I had my business initially, because I have a foreman that was like the guy. If he left, I was totally screwed. And I, and I, I waited every day for something to happen. And if he disappeared, I was going to be you know in tears. So being able to say, look, I need you to stay and here's how I'm going to hold you accountable. Plus, you're going to have this giant pool of cash that's going to grow if you stay with us. And if they leave, you still own the policy. So you're not really putting yourself up for risk. Great place to store cash in the interim. And it's a great retention strategy should you want to involve the employee down the road. That's uh, that's really valuable. And some of the audience is really uh, picking up on a lot of the stuff you've said today, Sean. Uh, I, I was wondering from the onset if the banks, because remember at the beginning, we talked about how the banks are doing this. Is that how they're leveraging all this life insurance on their employees or how? Big, Big time. time. Okay. A lot, a lot of corporations, of corporations will, will do this. this. Uh, uh, it's called it, 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 a corporate owned life insurance. And it, it works just like that. They'll have like, um, you know, like especially a big, like a tech firm or something that has a, you know, an innovations director or a tech, like a CTO or something like that, who's vital to things going on in the organization. If that person were to die, they're in really deep trouble. They'll take out a policy on them and they will also say, you stay with us until you retire. We're going to give you, you know, a nice pension plan. We're going to give you a portion of this a bonus, a one-time payout, whatever you want to do. So the banks do this often, um, but also corporate America does this a lot. And again, my podcast is called Wealth Secrets because this stuff is out there, right? People are doing this. They've been doing this for a hundred years, but I guarantee you nobody on this call has ever even heard of it, right? And it's it's not because it's illegal. It's not because you know you have to have a certain amount of money. There's you know restrictions and parameters and things, but it's because no one took the time to open it up to the average type of person. So once I found this and kind of learned about it, you know, it's not the right strategy for everybody. It's not a perfect unicorn that's always going to be the the exact fit. It has its drawbacks as, as well. But I am in the business of trying to reveal this information because I think it's totally unfair that we all get to live here and some people get the right information and some people don't. And so that's the whole point of this is kind of revealing all the options and then if they happen to be a fit for you, great. But it's great to have the entire choice of what you might want to do first. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, listen, uh, I'm going to add you to our Facebook group because I know there's a lot of Tylers who are probably going to be wanting to reach out to you. Where else can people find you? Is to go on the website and book a free call. I'm not a hard sell guy. I don't make any kind of obligation. We jump on, we design a couple of policies. I ask you some questions. We look through things and then you say, ah, this is not really it. Or, okay, let's look a little further. That's the end of it. Other people much more skeptical. They look at me and they're like, this is a sketchy looking guy. I don't know if I trust him. They want to do their own research perfectly, you know, look up self-banking and privatized banking. You'll, you'll see articles and things about it, but also on that same website, I've got probably 60 videos just on questions I get asked every single week about different structures and how things work and common questions that come up all the time. Spend some time on the website, go through there. It'll give you a good sample size of what other people have been asking about. And I've got long form content as well. If you want to check out a podcast called Wealth Secrets, um, I interview high net worth people. We talk about all kinds of investment strategies. Um, so it just depends on what, what you're looking for, but the website's the best place to start uh, to kind of you know, navigate from there. That's right. 
So we'll put links to all those in the show notes if you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube. Sean, I want to thank you again for, for being a guest and sharing what you know. And I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation inside the Facebook group. Yeah, sounds, yeah, sounds great, great, guys. Sounds I really, really appreciate, appreciate the time, time today. today. Guys, guys, you guys, you guys have, a have a ton of value, value out there. there. You provide an awesome service for your customers. So ensure your life. Make sure you're protected. Your family's protected. Look into making sure there's a level uh, to, to you know really expedite your, your growth and your wealth. So thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Very cool. Very cool. It was a great conversation uh, beside the last little hiccup here with the technology, but that happens. So thank you, Sean. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. You too. Thanks, thanks again, Luke. All right, Tile friends. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sean Adams. And uh, don't be afraid to reach out to him. Let him know you heard him on the Tile Money podcast, and he will give you that that full hour of uh, free consultation. So that's a great gift. Uh, go check out his website and, and get to know him a little bit. Do your research, leverage-life.com. All right, Tile friends. Well, stay profitable out there. I hope everybody's having a good week. 